You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. On today's episode, I have a very special guest. She's a Grammy Award-winning recording artist. She's the creator of the hit Apple TV drama, Little Voice. She's the composer of the hit Broadway musical, Waitress. And in addition to her musical career, she is an actor and an activist. But even with the many demands on her creative life, Sarah Bareilles gives so much of her time and her talent to those in need. I'm proud to call her a friend, and I'm thrilled to have her here today. Sarah, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Thank you. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So we've worked together on a number of projects, um, fundraising projects through my day job at the Charity Network. And you raised money for Susan G. Komen and the National Women's History Museum, the Rock and Roll Girls Camp, and other causes. You also served as an official ambassador for fundraising on Charity Buzz, and you curated a Broadway auction. And I think recently I read that you took place in a virtual drunken artist drinking game to raise money for the Actors Fund and Black Theater United. My point is you do so much for so many people and you've done this throughout your career. And you're also one of the most genuine and real people I have ever known. Where do you get this spirit of doing good and giving back? Where does this all come from? Oh, that's so kind of you to say. And uh I think, you know, my, it's my family, my parents were always people who oriented themselves around taking care of their community and whether that meant inviting people to Thanksgiving dinner that didn't have anywhere else to go or something more organized and kind of um, more based around community organizing or it's just a gesture to someone that's, that's based in kindness. I think that's, that was a really strong foundation in our household growing up. And so it's something that's always really spoken to me. And I think one of the things that I loved so much about getting to know the Broadway community in a more substantial way is that it is a point of orientation for the community itself. It is a community of people who are very integrated into their activism for the most part has been my experience. You know, of course I'm sure that's not everybody, but like, 
I have been amazed at just how, how seamless it feels like the Broadway community makes time and space for organizing and fundraising and, and charitable giving. It's just so much a part of the kind of the ether in, in this space, which I just, I adore and have learned so much from. You basically just said the blurb that introduces this Broadway Gives Back podcast, <laughs> because it's true. And I was thinking about what would be interesting to talk about. And I, I thought about that. It's, it's it's in the DNA of Broadway and the community yeah. to give back. Yeah. Um, so you were a perfect addition to that Broadway community oh, in that way. Thank you. Um, so we were talking a little bit. You've written your first TV show for Apple TV called Little Voice, and you've just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Writing in a Drama Series. Congratulations. Thank you so um, I loved the show so much, and I also love the backstory of how the show came about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, so it was such a – it felt like this serendipitous – accident where J.J. Abrams and I ended up at the same function at the White House, actually, during the <laughs> Obama years, of course. <laughs> um, um, and he had asked me if I had ever had any interest in um, working in television, which I had never really even considered at that time. And then we had a follow-up meeting and I was sharing with him that one of the shows that was so foundational to me as a, as a young woman was a show called Felicity starring Carrie Russell, mm -hmm. which is a sidebar. Interesting factoid is that I tend to be gravitating towards Carrie Russell <laughs> properties. Yeah. It's like, she's the star of waitress as well. But um, anyway, so I loved the show Felicity and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if to sort of make a show in that ilk that is um, about a young woman kind of finding herself and, who's a songwriter. And um, at that time we were just sort of on the heels of Waitress and Jesse Nelson and I were, um, and continued to be very bonded and very close working partners. And um, she came on the project and it all kind of like bloomed quickly and into Little Voice, which is the namesake of my, of my first record. And um, I actually had a song written for my first record called Little Voice, which was a really important song to me that at that time I was told was not good enough to be on the record. And all mm. these years later, that song ends up being the theme song for the television show and sort of like the thesis statement for the for the TV show of just, you know, trying to turn down the noise of the world and, and find your way, find your path as a young, authentic artist. And um, so, yeah. We, we had a, a beautiful time making that show. Challenging. Oh, my gosh. And very ambitious, but also at this point, so nostalgic because we've stopped filming right before the pandemic. So it, I look back at those episodes and, I mean, we're in Central Park and Washington mm. Square Park and it's crowded and it's summertime mm. and nobody's wearing masks and we're not freaked out yet. It's just <laughs> a really sweet, nostalgic time. I felt like New York City was almost a character in the show as well, yeah. and yeah. it it felt that way, similar to how you know Sex and the City was back in the day. But like New York was such a focal point as well. Yeah. How much of that? I, I'm guessing that a lot of that was autobiographical, or there were experiences that you brought from your own life to that character in the show. Um, Some of it was it. It ended up being actually a little bit further away. There were little Easter eggs, I think, mm -hmm. throughout the series. But it, her life is very different than my life was, mm -hmm. and and we even kind of made that decision early on in the process because I was having a 
when it when it was a little more autobiographical, I was having mm. a hard time like I was like, no, no, but it didn't happen that way. Or, mm. you know, it, it, yeah. it kind of it was stifling instead of liberating. So this it became a nice way to um, kind of just open up the possibilities of what kinds of stories we could tell for Bess. Um, and, and so that was actually a, a good little discovery we made was to step a little further away from my life. Right. And then you released your album in September called More Love Songs from Little Voice. Yeah. It to, like For me, listening to that album, um, there's a, like a theme of communication. And I just wanted to ask you sort of what did these songs, what do they say to you or what do you, what do you want them to say to your listeners? It's interesting, you know, it's a it's a mixture of songs that have lived in my repertoire for a really long time or songs that I wrote when I was the age of that character. So songs when I was, you know, in my mid-20s that just never found a home in the world yet. And the whole project has a little bit of a thread of nostalgia for me. And it, mm. it taps into a very specific kind of chapter in my life where I think I was so overwhelmed with my own insecurity and and excited by the possibility of what is what could happen and you know nothing has formed yet so it's all open road and mm. you haven't learned to be cynical yet mm -hmm. and um it's such a sweet time in a young artist's life to really kind of swim in the possibility of, of what could be um so that album feels it's it's a mix of songs written in that time and then songs written, you know, as a 41 year old woman reflecting on that time and trying to channel that part of myself and the character, of course. So, um, yeah, it's got, it's, it's probably like a, a little bit of an old soul, that record. And it's mm -hmm. also the way we recorded it was very old school. It was just like band in a room, lots of live takes. Um, it felt very nostalgic as well to do it that way. More like how I used to record. Um, I'm going to get back to philanthropy in a second, but I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your new series that's coming out on Peacock TV, Girls 5 Eva. Is that how you Girls say it? Yeah, you Girls got 5 it. Eva. Um, and you've got some other Broadway talent in there with you, Renee Elise Goldsberry, and you've got Tina Fey, who created the show, um, Busy Phillips and Paula Powell. So that looks like so much fun, by the way. Can you share any tidbits about that show or about the shoots? Oh, my gosh. It was like a literal fantasy come to life. It's every possible like dream I'd ever had for myself. <laughs> like, like I can only get worse from here. It's it really just, um, you know, I got the call in the middle of last summer. So it was, I want to say it was maybe June or July. And so the context of the timing of getting that phone call was felt really meaningful because I had a really hard time just after things shut down. And I think a lot of people went through this where like the novelty wears off of, Oh, I'm going to do puzzles and <laughs> just be quiet. And, and make sourdough really, bread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I got past that pretty quickly and went into, um, you know, some sort of existential panic as I think <laughs> lots of people were doing. Um, so it felt like a touchstone of, some again some possibility of what could come and that was very calming to me so um but the opportunity to work with tina fey and meredith scardino who was the creator of kimmy schmidt as well yeah. um the unbreakable kimmy schmidt 
which is another one of my favorites. Mm. Um, but we're, you know, it's the idea of doing something that as it was pitched to me was sort of, you know, 30 rock with a, a softer heart. <laughs> and I was like, I can't think of anything more fun. It's music, it's comedy, it's women. It's, um, it's about women in my age group that are, you know, trying to find themselves or, or rediscover themselves in some way. And, um, the cast is extraordinary. It is so much fun to go to work. We were so sad to leave at the end and it was incredibly challenging. You know, making a show during COVID is daunting for a lot of reasons, but I think there was also this kind of current undercurrent amongst everybody at work that we were all just so grateful to be able to go to work at Mm -hmm. all. So it was, there was a really nice sense of gratitude that was kind of just present for us every day or we just felt like it's hard to be in masks and and you know getting tested every day and all that stuff but it it was we all felt very lucky um i can't wait to see it um there's a theme so far that we've been talking about and it it's you associate yourself with a lot of women's and girls empowerment causes mm-hmm. um and shows and i just wondered sort of if you think about this in an overarching way with intentions and specific goals, or does it just sort of happen organically? I know that when I listen to your music or when I watch Little Voice um, or Waitress, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes, um, I feel sort of heard and I feel empowered and I feel motivated. And I'm not your target demo, most likely, but I just wondered sort of how you, how you, do you think about that in a bigger picture or is it just something that happens or how do you, how do you get there? First of all, yes, you are target demo. I just, <laughs> I'm really interested in talking to people who are older um, women. <laughs> well, no, people, yes. Also, but, but um, that's me too, by the way, and, but just people that are interested in, in truth and honesty and, and kind of seeking out the soft places to land in the world. Like, um, I think it's, it hasn't necessarily been a a totally conscious decision, uh, at least not initially, but I have always really made it a point to try to go towards what feels the most true and, uh, in alignment for myself. Like I want to do things that feel good to do and to make, and I want to look back on the choices I made and feel like, yeah, that was an important sort of statement to make it to the world. And, and, really the thing that drives me the most is just about wanting to encourage people to feel like they're enough exactly as they are. I think, you know, I was someone who I was bullied growing up and I, and I had, um, you know, a lot of body image issues and I went to a small Catholic school and that was like very toxic at times and also very wonderful. Like the, it, what, what I took away from my, from my adolescence was like, it's just, hard Mm. this is just hard to grow up and I say that in my 40s as well it's hard (laughs) to be a human and to try to be a conscious-minded human I mean look through look at you know this incredible expansion of consciousness we've gone through this last year Mm -hmm. um so I think where I can offer people you know words of support or comfort or validation um just that like trying to be good is sometimes enough not always but but really it's it's you know intention does matter in this Mm -hmm. life and I think the more we can give that 
um, also just the, the freedom to young women in particular, but young people um, to, to understand that they're, it's hard to turn down the noise of the world, especially at that age, because there's sort of, even now so much more so, there's so much, there's so much funneling their attention towards this kind of marketplace that lives online and the compare and despair trope is just so loud for so many people. And I think it is hard to find yourself and to, you know, know that you are enough. Yeah. And the whole idea of finding yourself, I mean, that's a journey throughout your entire life. I don't think anyone right. ever finds themselves, you know? No. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. How do you decide, you know, sort of which causes or organizations you're going to support and how you support them? I mean, I guess there are some charities where you take out your checkbook and you write a check. There are others where you give of your time and your talent. There are others where you may share information in social media. Like, how do you, Is again, is it sort of just a, oh, this sounds really interesting. I'm going to do this because it came to you. Or do you like seek things or how do you, how do you get there? I, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I think, you know, sometimes the causes that are near and dear to you tend to find you, especially once you've done a little bit of philanthropic work and, and then um, people sort of get to understand your interests and, and then sometimes it's relationships. It's people like the rock and roll camp for girls in Los mm -hmm. Angeles is, a, is an organization I have worked fairly closely with over the last 10, 10 years or so. Um, and that's run and curated by some of my very best friends. So it's mm -hmm. just work that I really believe in. And I've seen firsthand as I was a camp counselor and a volunteer and did fundraising and stuff for them. Um, that it's just doing really good work in the world. So it matters to me to help kind of raise the profile where I can offer my time, if that's the most valuable thing. I think it's each situation is different. And sometimes it's just, you know, sending money to an animal rescue organization that I follow on Instagram and I'm, mm -hmm. I just see the work that they do and I appreciate it. So I want to support where I can. But it's hard. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of need in the world. And so I cannot also understand people getting to a place of fatigue and feeling like there's so much deficit just within ourselves sometimes where we're just, I'm not getting enough. And so I don't have it to give. But my parents, again, also were like, if you don't feel so good, go do something nice for someone else. And <laughs> you'll see how, how powerful that that act of, of generosity or altruism can be and and really what a 
you know, seismic shift it makes inside ourselves. That's definitely a theme that with the other guests on the show as well, on this podcast, we've talked about how you feel so good when you, it's really more of a selfish act because you're giving right. and it makes you feel so good to do that. Um, and I think too, as we're, we're faced with so many problems that are macro and we we're up against these kind of unsolvable problems in, in many regards, it's just like, we're not going to fix the world ever. There will always be poverty and hunger and, you know, it's in some form or another. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes doing something that's micro and based in a community, like I always feel like that's a really good solve for feeling that powerlessness about how we can't make the world better like that, that we have to, you know, invest in our communities and, and you can really make a difference in one person's life truly just by being kind at the bodega or whatever it's just like they're just it i think kindness and and love truly are the the most powerful forces that we have i couldn't agree more and it's interesting because we've had differing opinions of different guests on the on this podcast where some have said no you have to make a big statement and you have to pick something really big and be very strategic about it but i would say most people feel similar to what you've just articulated which is yeah. it's the small acts of kindness and um, that we can we can control and that make us feel good and and helping even just one person is so meaningful yeah, yeah i think that's right i mean i i i tip my hat to someone who can really kind of like develop a strategy. I'm like a little more disorganized in my mind. So I tend to just a little more scattershot that way. Squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's talk about Waitress for a minute. Um, That was a show that brought you to Broadway and it was so groundbreaking in so many ways, um, especially because it was the first show to have an all female creative team. Um, and I just wondered, you know, again, with the theme of, of you know, women and, and girls, what do you think having all of those women in the room brought to the table, not just for the project, but for the collaboration in general? Um, how, did that, how did that feel to you? And obviously, you've now collaborated with a lot of other women and other shows, too. Yeah. So I just wondered, you know, what, um, what you think that adds in terms of value? You know, what's so interesting about Waitress is that it, we were well into the process before anybody noticed that that's what had happened. So what I really appreciated about that part of it was that it wasn't a casting decision. It was just people being at the top of their field, being paired or being hired and creating this thing. And then understanding that, that like, Oh, we all happen to be women, which Mm. felt like a very, um, I don't know. I thought that was serendipitous in a way. It felt like a little glimpse into the future where like, what if we could just all be people? And mm-hmm. and then it wasn't so much about it has to be this or that, but that we were the right people to tell this story at this time. And um, I don't know. You know, I, I think that so much of these conversations are still in evolution and rightfully so. But that was one thing that I really appreciated about the the, the experience of making waitress and and I just I learned so much from that process on so many levels but we also had wonderful male department heads and we have we had wonderful male collaborators so it it never felt like there were only women in the room but um it was really powerful to be in an experience and then take note of oh it's 
it is unusual, sadly, but um, really, really powerful to, to be collaborating with women. And I just, I loved them all so much. I mean, it really became like such a sisterhood by the end. And, and we got into it. We had fights and mm -hmm. friends. You know, it was, it was a rocky road and, and the stress of putting together a musical. I'm like, gosh, I have <laughs> such tremendous. Once we opened Waitress, I was like, I am only a fan of anybody <laughs> who gets anything made ever because this is so freaking hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember you saying it was a hard process and it oh was you learned gosh. so much. Yeah. 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 Um, brutal. You talked about waitress being a family. And I guess I was thinking about your family a lot um, when um, you know, when COVID came and with Nick Cordero's death. Yeah. And, you know, it was so heartbreaking. And the story was so public for so many months. And I think everybody's hearts just ached. Um, how did you all cope with that news, especially because there was social distancing and you couldn't all be together. I mean, I think the only way you can process that is to have compassion for how many people are going through the separation and loss and grief in this new format. It is, um, I mean, my heart continues to break for Amanda and Elvis, mm -hmm. his yeah. family that got, and his siblings and parents. I mean, mm -hmm. there's just, such a loss there and and to have to say goodbye to someone in that way feels particularly cruel and i think that's something that this virus brought into the foreground for so many people i mean like i think about hugging my friends and mm. it's just feels like this foreign like oh we used to do that thing mm -hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just any kind of interpersonal contact is so charged at this moment because we're all so frightened of spreading or sharing or, you know, getting um, the virus. So I, it gave me a lot of compassion for all of these, you know, hundreds of thousands of families who have had to say goodbye to someone. And it was so public. It was like a strange thing because we were also removed that it felt like the only way you could connect was being on social media. So mm -hmm. it was a, it was a strange, it was a strange time. And, um, you know, he, well, well, Amanda also, you know, she, I think did something so unique. I mean, she really put herself out there and made it very public. Yeah. And I think that helped it. Hopefully it helped her, but cope with it, but it also, it helped so many other people. Um, totally. and it was a really brave thing to do. I, I don't know that I would have the strength to do that myself and that's not how everybody copes with something, but I thought it was, um, it felt really authentic to her and I have seen how, what a huge difference that's made for so many people to, to be able to share in grief or just to watch how someone else is going through it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I can't imagine it's an easy road to walk, um, especially publicly. So she's, she's a real, she's a tough have cookie. Yeah. Um, speaking of waitress, um, so looking forward and hopefully optimistically forward, um, what are the plans for waitress in the future when, um, when life resumes some kind of new normal? Well, as we speak, there are rehearsals in Japan in for waitress in Japanese. And oh, that, wow. So I just posted a video <laughs> of myself recording. We do this little jingle at the beginning of the show that reminds people to turn off their cell phone, and I recorded it myself. And, um, and so I 
was just recording it the other night of singing it in Japanese and I have the phonetic spelling written out in front of me and I'm sure I'm butchering it, but <laughs> you know, hopefully intention. Um, but yeah, so Waitress will be opening in Japan, which is tremendously exciting. And there's an Australian production that's in the works as well. And um, a tour of the UK that will hopefully be launching next year. Um, if not late this year, I think, I think we're set for late this year. And I think I'm doing the thing where I'm just imagining everything will get pushed again, but mm -hmm. you know, we will just, we have to respond to what's safe and healthy for everyone. But waitress thankfully is going to have a really big life in the world. And, and we're at the precipice of this next phase where, um, you know, community theaters will be able to do the show and, Hopefully we're, we're talking about trying to develop something for the show that we're to make the material a little more kid friendly for, for like mm -hmm. high school. We're like, not sure how you tell this story, <laughs> but um, you know, there's a lot of interest and excitement about telling this story. So we want to make it as accessible and to as many people as, as can see it. Um, so speaking of theater in the future, um, I've asked, a lot of my guests, the same question. And I don't have an answer. So I've decided that my answer is going to be a compilation of everybody else's answers. I'm going to pick and choose. But if you could wave a magic wand, what changes would you want to see um, once Broadway is up and running again? And particularly in this year after COVID, after all of the systemic racism, you know, conversations that are happening, I just, I feel like, you know, and because Broadway's been down for so long, there's this amazing opportunity to, you know, to change things and for really the better. Yeah. 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 I think the two things that feel that are the most important to me is diversity in storytellers and storytelling um, the kinds of stories that get made into musicals and who gets to make them mm -hmm. and uh, affordability. I think that is one of the things that feels um, like the saddest thing to me about mm -hmm. Broadway is that the exclusivity is sort of built into the structure because it's so expensive and it's expensive for a lot of reasons. It's not even just greedy producers who are trying right. to, you know, it's, it really is a, it's a form and function of the way this structure is set up and how much it costs to have a building and you know, mm -hmm. all kinds of things and unions. And um, so I understand that it's complicated, but I really think that changing the theater, which is what it's meant for, is is to be uh, to have um, a, a more open door policy to the community it is made of and is for. So um, those are those are the two main issues that I think deservedly need to be really reframed and, and attacked. And again, I don't really have the answers for that either, but. Um, I do know, you know, there's a lot of good people working on it and we can see how, you know, the city that I love so much, you know, I've only been here nine years, but I feel like a New Yorker in my mm -hmm. heart. And, and, um, you just feel like when, when theater and art and culture aren't pulsing through the veins of the city, it is, you know, it feels bleak in certain mm -hmm. ways. So mm -hmm. you, we just, we get this amazing opportunity to see the value of arts and culture in, I mean, we knew that, but we get to really see what it looks like if, 
if it wasn't here. And I think there will be such an appetite for it in every way, shape and form. And, and that feels like a really good thing too. Yeah. It's been like a controlled experiment, you know, this last oh year, the not worst one, the, the worst, worst one ever. Although I will also say, you know, looking at the, you know, the glass half full, there've been, there's been so much creativity this year too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, people have been doing, I went, we attended a party the other night on zoom. It was a dance party with a DJ oh and gosh. everybody was dancing in their boxes. And I thought, okay, this is, I'm not doing that. But of course, yeah. like you get into it and yeah. we were dancing in our box, you know, yeah. on zoom. Yeah. So I feel like there's been a lot of interesting interesting ways to create, um, to create in general. And, Mm -hmm. but there is a void and I can't wait till we get back together. I miss the human connection. I keep saying this, that it, it feels like what we've been, what's been illuminated is what, what a flimsy surrogate a screen is for human Mm. interaction. It just doesn't, as much as we are oriented towards our screens and our lives and our livelihoods, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like standing in a room and watching people on stage or listening to a band or sitting around a dinner table with your friends. There just, there is no substitute for that. And I don't want to have dinner with FaceTime. I want to have dinner with my friends. You know? right. Yes, I do understand. Um, you know, if, if your fans were listening to this, which hopefully they are, um, what would you, I don't know if you could advise them or what would you share with them as to ways that they could as everyday philanthropists give back? Mm. Well, I think first of all, I just, I love my fan community so much. They are, my experience of them is that they really are um, tenderhearted. They're Mm. people that feel, they feel the world in a big way, just, just as I do. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the tricky part of being someone who feels the world so big is that it's very easy to get overwhelmed. And I see a lot of people really struggling with their mental health, mm-hmm. really struggling with just, can I make it? And, you know, have had some really beautiful exchanges with people online about self harm and about getting help. I'm always been a huge advocate for like, for um, mental health Taking, taking care of your mental health. And I'm someone who has been on medication and been in therapy for many, many, many years. So mm. therapy is my number one go-to. Um, meditation also being a tremendous tool in self-care for me. Um, and so I think that the first thing I would say to my fan base is to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And that is the the first stop for our philanthropy in this world is to just become friends and friendlier to ourselves. And then it can be really simple. If you're not someone who has a lot of funds, if you got money, share it. And if Mm. you, and if you don't, what you can share is kindness and a smile and a dollar or, you know, it doesn't have to be these big, I think, Again, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with how much need there is, but if you know, volunteering your time is is something you can do that is extraordinarily valuable. And and as we come out of the other side of this pandemic and in certain ways, there are ways to engage with the world again. And I promise you it feels good. It feels so good to be around other people who are making that choice and that sacrifice. And um, you get sort of reminded that you're not alone in the world. There are other people who are trying to do good, even though it's hard. 
Well, that was an optimistic note, and I'm going to end it on that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you and hugging you in the future. In the future, yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway Gives Back. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, with Brittany Bigelow, and music by Eric Becker at Broderick Street Music. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, and friend, Jim Lochner, and to Katie and Yo at BPM, Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency, the Charity Network, and to my fiance, Glenn Weiss, who is always my consultant. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpn.fm slash broadwaygivesback. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.